Hello and welcome to the Afrofuturist podcast where we talk to artists, scientists, technologists, musicians, speculative fiction writers, filmmakers, architects, and anyone who is passionate about creating the democratized world of tomorrow today. My name is Ahmed Best. I am your host. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate you being here. Today on the podcast, we talk to Maria Alvarez. Maria's official title is Partner Director of Engineering and Shared Services for the Bing Information Platform Group. Uh, But she works at Microsoft with the Bing search engine, artificial intelligence, and so much more. And I met Maria through uh, a mutual friend. His name was Jesse Gilbert, who teaches computer science at Woodbury University and is a fantastic visual artist. Um, And as soon as I met Maria, I knew she was somebody I wanted on the podcast because of her background, uh, where she comes from and what she's doing now and how she got there. Maria is from Venezuela and you don't really hear about a lot of women from Venezuela working on artificial intelligence at Microsoft. And I think that's a bit of a travesty because the thing that I really love about cultures that come from places where you don't really think about cultures having advanced technology or at least modern advanced technology is once they get there, you realize, oh, wait a minute, they, they come from a history and they come, of, come from a tradition that is so incredibly valuable to where we're going. And Maria is one of those people. She talks about how her mother had the foresight to see the oncoming computer revolution and made sure Maria was going to be a part of it. We talk about a lot in this episode, especially when it comes to artificial intelligence and um, the emerging revolution in machine learning. And a lot of times when you talk about artificial intelligence, and and I say this in the podcast, everyone's brain goes right to Skynet and it goes right to the Terminator and rightfully so because a, that was a great story. And B, like it, it's fearful. Like thinking that a machine is all of a sudden going to be so integral and know so many details, intimate details about us, why wouldn't they see us as inefficient? But Maria is actually extremely optimistic about the oncoming machine learning revolution and the artificial intelligence revolution. And we talk about that. We talk about Microsoft having a department where they they talk about all the pros and cons of this technology. We also talk about her duality when it comes to doing AI and being of a certain age where security and information was is really was was really coveted in a way that is different now for the generations coming up who have grown up online, who have very little problem sharing all their information. We also talk about things that Microsoft is working on now in countries around the world where AI is an integral part of everyday life. We talk about an emotional chatbot in China that's being used to help lift spirits of people who have maybe an emotional need for someone to talk to and not necessarily have a human being to talk to. Those chatbots are being uh, used right now in China and in Japan. And it's it's extremely interesting. She also talks about software and hardware that artificial intelligence and Microsoft are coming up with that help with people with disabilities and then help look for cures for incurable diseases and help with functionality and mobility and It's a really wonderful conversation. Hopefully, after you've listened to it, you will not be as afraid of the machine learning revolution and the artificial intelligence revolution as you were before you listened to it. So that is enough from me. Please enjoy my conversation with Maria Alvarez. Maria Alvarez, thank you for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for the invitation. This is a great opportunity to uh, be here with you today. Oh, it's really a great opportunity to um, really a great opportunity to talk to you. And 
um, you have such an incredible story. Um, and when we were talking before we met before, you were telling me about your mother. And what I found so interesting about your mother is she had the foresight to really encourage you to be a computer scientist. Can you can you tell us a little bit about your mother and um, how she pointed you into the direction of computer science? Okay, yes, this is a great story about my mom. My mom, it, it was, you know, a very um, smart artist person. She actually was kind of the uh, right hand of my dad. My dad had a very, um, you know, good business. So she was kind of running in behind the door at home. Um, and she was very artistic, very good in math. Um, and, you know, she was always there. Uh, when I went to high school, I wanted to be a psychologist after when I was uh, graduating. Um, and I was just planning for that, you know, talking to people about it. And one day she just said to me, you know, there is a university in our city, in our home city in Valencia, Venezuela. And she said, this university has two careers, business and information systems. And I think you should do information systems because that's the future. And that was more than 30 years ago. Um, so how my mom had that vision, that future, that it, it took with me the phrase, that's the future. How can she know this? Um, I don't know, uh, but she did. And I actually follow her advice. I follow what she told me and I am here today or what I do today is because of my mom. Now, did you have any apprehension about going into information systems or when your mom said it, you just followed the direction? I just followed the direction, um, you know, and, and, you know, if I reflect back, you know, I probably I was worried, you know, and, and why would I do that? Um, but when I relate these stories, I always say that I was a good girl and I follow what she said. But when I when I look back, you know, and then look back at my career and what I have done, you know, I, I take a lot of risk and I think, you know, in, in my willingness to learn and having that desire, probably I kind of reflect on it right now, but maybe, you know, I had it all along and I just did. And, you know, I worked and it worked. I loved the career. I did very well. It's not that I hated it. I loved it. And, you know, and then it worked out for me. How many women were in information systems when you started? You know, I had many, um, I have several women there. We, you know, it was quite balanced, but then they started dropping. So they started the program, but they, some of them will drop. And some of them actually even graduated, but they never pursued the career. They got the diploma, but they didn't. And what it was when it was for me was when I really realized how nobody was there, no women, is when I came to the United States to do my master's. So that is when I was the only woman in the computer science department uh, doing my master's. It was all men. And you had, or did you have a proclivity towards mathematics or was it the programming aspect of it what what do you think was your the thing that really brought you into enjoying that information systems and moving you into trying to pursue your and pursuing your masters i think was more the programming than the math um i liked the programming i enjoyed it i remember i became so um into gaming myself um meaning playing games video games at the time pokemon i mean sorry uh, uh, pac-man and all that stuff so um and i liked it i i did and i i really liked to code more than you know and, i mean the math helped but it was more the coding and how did you get to the united states so after I graduated from information systems in Venezuela, I knew that I needed to learn English because all the books, everything was in English. So I applied for a scholarship uh, to do a master in computer science in Canada, which I got. It was a fellowship in Kingston, Canada. So, you know, 
I got it like, a, you know, almost a year before. So, you know, I said, okay, I have to go and learn English. I thought it was going to be pretty easy for me. Um, but I knew that I was not good with languages. Um, so I basically, you know, reached out to my uncle, which was here in Los Angeles. And I told him, hey, you, do you know a place? And he said, yes, absolutely. There is a wonderful ESL program at Cal State LA. Uh, come. And that's what I did. And when I joined in January of 1990, um, you know, I did the test and I was in level two of six. So my level was very, very low. I, um, you know, I, I knew how to read and write because you learn that, you know, we take English classes when we are in elementary and high school. But it was, um, you know, quite a journey. So... You know, I, I, I studied like crazy for three months. I did, you know, everything I could. I took the test, uh, the TOEFL, and I actually passed the test to go to college, but not for master's. The score was not good enough. And I still remember the day when I had to tell a professor to take the call from the university to tell me that I lost a scholarship. It was too late. Um, and that's when, you know, I decided, okay, I, you know, I'm already here. I came with my husband. We both graduated on the same major and we didn't have money, you know, so we have little savings for us to be only for the months that we were going to be in the States. Um, and then, um, you know, I just talked to the school and I said, Hey, you know, I can do your system. I can develop the new system for you, for the student records. I can code. So would you give me free tuition if I do that? And they, they did. And that's how I, you know, studied for a year and was able to uh, finish the English program. And what was the trajectory to Microsoft and AI? And I found a job in Pasadena uh, with a company called Overture. And Overture was the inventor of search advertising. And that company was purchased by Yahoo. So that's how I came uh, to Yahoo. And they were in a big transformation um, for, you know, getting the next, you know, um, version of the, the advertising platform. And Yahoo was, you know, hiring a lot of people. And then rather than being a development manager and being super deep into one product and coding and all that, I actually took a very more role, a broad role. And it was kind of managing the operations of such a huge technology organization. And then, you know, fast forward five years, I was at Yahoo. And, you know, I became kind of the end, the, you know, the chief of staff and the, you know, program manager officer for all the technology major initiatives for Yahoo, you know, with a, an influence of 7,000 engineers. Um so that's when, you know, one time I was talking to the HR person and he was saying, Maria, what do you want? What do you want to do? And I said, I want to go back to my roots. I want to do again development, you know, being in R&D and research and development and with engineering teams. You know, I have learned a lot now. I have now not only learned how to do engineering, but also interact with sales, you know, finance, strategy and all this stuff. That's how, you know, the, you know, the, the experience in Spain came about. One day I'm at home, I get a call from a recruiter and he just said, hey, you know, we have this position as a CTO of the biggest technology company in Spain at the time. And they are moving from premise to, you know, the CDs and all that to online services. And we need somebody that is able to do that. And then I was just so curious about how do you find me? And then he basically said, oh, I typed three words in LinkedIn, engineering, security, and Spanish. And I match all of them. I was not an expert in security. I was in a security company, Semantic, but I was not in the security group. Uh, and I went to the, you know, to the, the um, so after I finished that, I thought this will be awesome. How can I just, you know, lead a team in my own native language, you know, when all my career has been in the U.S. Um, and then I talked to my husband, you know, and I thought he was going to tell me that I was crazy, but he just embraced it and said, let's go. I think that will be a great opportunity for not only you, but the entire family. And then we did. So that's how, you know, the opportunity in Spain as a CTO of a security company came about. 
And how long were you in Spain? I was there for 18 months. Uh, at the beginning, I went by myself and I commuted for six months. Two months in LA, two months in Spain. And that was probably the one of the most uh, hardest thing in my my. my personal life and family life and, you know, professional. But I think, you know, after that, we moved for a year. And, and it was probably the most uh, fulfilling, you know, personal and professional experience, that, you know, that I have so far. Um, and then we decided to come back because my kids, um, you know, wanted to go back to school here. And from Spain, you went to where? What was the next stop for you? So then being in Spain, uh, the people that I work at Yahoo um, actually were working in Microsoft and they just basically uh, said, hey, why you don't come to Microsoft? And that's how I joined Microsoft six years ago. Um, and, you know, managing a, you know, a, a, a service organization supporting um, you know, the artificial intelligence uh, product unit, and that is including Bing, Cortana, and other uh, products. And that's where you are now still. I am still there, yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about AI. Um, six years ago, AI wasn't as much in the everyday culture as it is now it seems as if every day someone is talking about ai yeah somebody is either deathly afraid of it or extremely excited about it yeah where do you fall as far as your opinion on ai and um how has it grown in the past six years yeah i mean yeah we have made a lot of progress one of the things that has kind of un unleashed, you know, the power of AI is the cloud. The ability for us to, you know, and the ability to compute so much information in such a fast pace. Um, so that's one. Also, we have made tremendous progress in vision, speech, um, and also um, machine learning on, you know, the ability to learn. Um, and have models that create that. Um, so a lot of progress, but I think the, the unblocking and all that has been the power of computing um, because, you know, some of these things require a lot of power to, you know, computing power. So I think that um, vision has evolved significantly, you know, the ability to recognize, you know, um, um, pictures and images and into a point that in some cases better than humans um, and then they've the speech side as well um, you know speech to text but you know and then you know um, um, and then you know ability to understand so I think there has been all I mean a lot of progress then I think I know that my point of view is I have you know depending on the hat, that I wear. Um, in one hand, I worry as, you know, because as, as you know, we do this, we co we're collecting a lot of data. We know, you know, more about you. We can learn about your voice and, you know, start learning how you do things, what you like to do and things like that. So how, how we use that data, how we protect it from a privacy perspective, that's important. Um, so for us, it's very, you know, that's key. How we keep that trust with our users or our customers. So that's one aspect. How is that used? Um, the other part is, I think it's incredible to see how some jobs, it's another revolution, you know, industrial revolution, you know, things change with the machines and, you know, the things that we did manually, you know, the machines reply them in the manufacturing side, right? So I would say this could be another revolution. And then, so people are afraid, you know, I'm going to lose my job or, you know, and I think there's certain truth to it, but as we did in that time and that revolution, I think we have the capabilities to adapt to the new, uh, new um, revolution. And that's the reason I think it's so important and we are just encouraging so many people to study computer science because there is not enough. We are not producing enough 
um, com you know, computer science majors in the country to satisfy the job demand that we have. So we have to go outside, um, you know, to, to bring people from externally, you know, from other countries. Um, I want to come back to that. Okay. But this idea of the new type of revolution that's going on as far as computing and AI. And I was recently talking to a friend of mine who works in Silicon Valley about the retail apocalypse and how everyone believes that the retail apocalypse is coming. And uh, today, um, Jeff Bezos bought Whole Foods for yes. $13.7 That's right. And the fear of the retail apocalypse took over the news cycle today. Mm -hmm. um, and I think you just touched on a really interesting point about education kind of being the way to adapt to what's coming if you were to recommend um something in computer science to learn right now that you don't necessarily need a university for something that you can learn online or something you can learn in your spare time be it a programming language be it um maybe hardware uh assembly what what do you think would be a good thing to get your hands on and be tangible right now in order to adapt to the oncoming revolution? I would say, I would say machine learning. Um, that is, you know, what the, you know, the ability to learn models that are statistical models, they're different models, but, you know, for you to create models that they're learning and they are tools and they are tutorials and they are, you know, you know, Microsoft, Google, they have, tools for you to learn to use you know you don't have to you know you can use their platform to use those models and you know train those models so that will be one um one aspect that i wanted to touch on is also the rise of you know these these new devices that you're seeing with voice which alexa and you know and how they're used for kind of simple tasks play this for me you know, where is this? Um, you know, but voice is key. And as you see this type of devices and how, you know, eventually, you know, it, it, it creates, so imagine something more than that, you know, that, that it, imagine that you are learning about that, that it, that, that it learns about you, that you can, you know, if I set up that device and I want to share with you something, you know, that we enable that technology to do that in the future. So basically everything, your kind of your life is eventually there. You know, you can say, you know, you set up your movies, you know, and you can transfer that. So very interesting things that, you know, you can potentially see is like an OS, you know, taking, you know, a new dimension here. Um, and that I have mixed emotions about it. And one hand, it could be very powerful. You know, it knows everything as soon as you get into your house and, you know, all the appliances and all the stuff, right? Oh, you got there, you know, turn it on, put the music that you like, all this stuff, right? But on the other hand, oh, wow, you, is everything is there, you know, your life, your bank, you know, do this for my, you know, all your, it's just a lot. So it's how you, you, you know, you um, balance that with your privacy and, you know, not being used or taking advantage of or, you know, for, you know, people, right? So that is something that, um, you know, is top of mind for me. And um, I see the benefits, but in one part of me, uh, and maybe it's because I'm older, um, you know, I worry. Um, how, do you, how do you navigate those emotions, you being at the company that is pioneering this type of machine learning? Like how are you, how does Maria the person, uh, the human being, deal with the emotion of creating something that you have a little bit of a question of? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I just, you know, I, I understand it. I see the, gra the great potential. You know, the fact that for example, you know, you, you can see that eventually a model, a machine can probably read a scan of your body faster, more accurate than a doctor or other, you know, the, the, the technician that see the image. So I can see that they can, you know, they can foresee and predict that, hey, 
you take three, four medications and they are, you know, and then nobody today knows all the combinations and issues that these four medications can have, but you can do that with this technology. Um, so it's, it's, you can see the benefit, but on the other hand, you know, it's just like, it's hard to kind of, I don't know, it's, it, for me, it's, it's hard, but, but I, I embrace it. I embrace it, and then I just said, you know, Maria, you have to kind of take the risk, you know, because it's for your benefit, uh, or it's for the benefit. Some I may not use, uh, you know, I, I may not find useful. Um, one that I am, you know, kind of, is in early stages, and I see, um, you know, a, a lot of um, take in China. We, we have a chatbot. But it's a different chatbot. It's an emotional chatbot. It's, you talk to it's, it's for for it's like your friend, your companion, and the, you know. And then we have it in in China and Japan, and you know, it's a lot of people using this chatbot, and they talk about it when they feel lonely because millennials, you know, are connected all the time, and everything is just not physical. It's more like you know, and you know social networks right can you tell us the name of the chatbot it's called chow eyes and then in japan it's called rina hmm. um and people talk with these bots incredibly and then you know they and then the, it makes a joke it can sing a song um and one of them in china i uh, i believe is in a tv station and it reads the news um it was also used uh for the last olympics to predict uh, who can beat the games? Um, so it, it has, and people follow it, uh, and then talk to it, and you know, and then, um, and then jokes with it, and then you know, and people send pictures, and hey, what do you think? And you know, it, it is not only, you know, so they they are evolving. Starting with chat, but the next generations will be, you know, eventually, a vision, emotions. But it's an emotional companion. You know, you, I don't know if you remember the movie Her. Yeah, love that movie. That's Spike what it, Jones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And was the chatbot developed specifically for that purpose? Yes. It's an emotional companion. It's an EQ. It's more than, you know, you have other things that will, you know, help you to be productive, you know, and help you. Okay, you can do this, you know, you need to do traffic right now, all this stuff um, like, you know, Google now and things like that. But this is an, a unique one, very unique. And it's, um, there is a version in the U.S., but it's a smaller version and it's still learning. And these are very specific for millennials. I believe it's from 18 to 24. Um, but that one is a very interesting concept. And seeing um, that, you know, you can provide responses that are, you know, more emotional, more, you know, detecting if you're sad or, you know, um, or happy or angry and then how and in you know, at responding based on those things and trying to, and some people, you know, do it for a little bit, but, you know, there are people that really engage in turns. We call turns, right? You know, one and four, right? And the answer, and then people have talked to for uh, those bots for a long time. Now, going back to um, weighing whether or not there is a, a positive and or negative response to the oncoming uh, machine learning revolution, does Microsoft have some kind of a, a group, like an ethics group? Do you guys talk about stuff like oh, that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, actually, Microsoft is very um, present, not only in the ethics side, but, you know, working with the government. I believe there is a group um, for, you know, uh, through the companies to develop like a framework on how the policies and how we should uh, do this, uh, you know, to, uh, you know, for ethics and then to avoid, you know, things in the wrong, you know, and being the wrong way. So absolutely very, very, um, very important aspect. Yeah. And then the company, you know, has very, you know, famous people, um, you know, with a lot of experience um, representing different places. And going back to, the goal of AI, especially for Microsoft, where do you see AI 10 years from now? Um, well, I, and, and also what, what could be the hope for AI 10 years from now? 
I mean, you know, I've seen wonderful things. You know, I saw uh, a video of a technology that was produced in the UK where a person with Parkinson's, um, you know, couldn't draw. And they developed this device where, you know, takes all the things and, and, you know, I don't know all the details, but it was, you know, it helped control. And even though the person was moving their hand, you can see it, the software, you know, help through that. So, you know, I see people that are able to see, you know, uh, people that are, you know, we have developed technologies where they carry their phone and then he's basically saying, you know, go here, move here, it's a blind person. So for people with disabilities, you know, this is incredible to find cure or, you know, issues with, you know, um, um, diseases or very, you know, important, you know, very difficult things. You know, I also seen a lot of that. So it's not only the AI, but also the computing power that you have to process stuff. So I can see more um, uh, breakthroughs in health, you know, in productivity you know, using these speaker devices to do more things, um, having these companions with you for work and at home, um, you know, and then combine all that with IoT. So basically, you know, we're digitalizing everything. Describe so, IoT just for the people who don't know what that is. Internet of Things. So, you know, uh, thermostats, um, you know, even now you have doorbells with a camera, you know, all the devices that now connect to the Internet, you know. So then as soon as you connect to the Internet, you have you can gather that data and then, you know, process it and learn from it. Um, A lot of times when we talk about the Internet of Things and we talk about things like artificial intelligence and machine learning, it's very first world thinking. Like a lot of people don't consider the developing world when we're talking about things like this, not just in on in the back end of people who have the ability to buy the products, but also on the front end. Um, I remember listening to a computer scientist talking about Alexa and he was Indian and he said that Alexa couldn't understand his accent. Yeah. Um, and he was a computer scientist working in A.I., how can we keep the development of this technology mindful of the rest of the world? Do we even do do does Microsoft think about that when Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So basically there are different models. So we deploy them, you know, so there are models for Spanish, for the different languages. I remember uh, talking to uh, one program manager, especially uh, specialist in speech. And I told her, I said, I hate it. They, he doesn't understand my accent. And she said, oh, Maria, it's because you're using the, you know, the English, you know, model. Um, and then he needs to learn how you speak, how you pronounce certain things. And then she started explaining to me, you know, when you speak, you know, and she started, you know, your, you know, how my tongue does things and then how they capture those things. And I was like, all right. So... But she said, but, the, you know, if you train it, it will learn. So, and then you have it for, you know, all languages. So, and then, you know, you have it with Siri, you know, as well. And, you know, you have it, you know, we have the Siri in Spanish, you know, and then you can use this, this, the, you know, the Spanish from Spain or from Mexico. And the, you know, it sounds differently, right? So it's the same. Yeah, for, for, for us. Um, let's talk about that, um, the HER model of the, you call it EQ. Um, you... We're talking to me about you guys developing an operating system that would be a lot like that movie. Now, you know, me being... This is me saying... I don't... I want to be clear here. You know, this is a good analogy. It's not that we're developing, you know. it's, It's a good analogy. As you see, this will be part of everything. The knowledge of what you do, everything is in a device. How far away do you think we are from getting to something, to a place like that? I believe few years from now. You say in the next five years. It, it could be sooner. Uh, five years, I think, is okay. It could be sooner. I think is you will have to 
overcome many, you know, obstacles from a policy, from ethics, for, you know, things um, like that. So the computing part isn't the problem. It's the human beings. Absolutely. So once we can wrap our heads around an operating system that we could possibly fall in love with, we'll get one. It could be, yeah. I think is, you know, I think, yeah, the technology is there. See, for me, that's really exciting. I I think that's not only exciting, I think that's interesting, but I think what a lot of people are afraid of is the Terminator. You know, everybody thinks that Skynet's gonna happen and, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger is gonna have robot skin and come and take over the world. Now, my personal belief is as soon as you start trying not to make Skynet, you're probably going to make Skynet. Mm-hmm. That's my opinion. Yeah. Um, but how can we reassure those folks out there who are deathly afraid of this type of thing happening that it is likely either to happen or not to happen? Like where where do where do we fall? Like what do you what do you, what is your personal opinion on where we fall? I think. I believe the people that are afraid are people like me, older. I don't think the next generation will be afraid because they won't have any context. They don't even know what, you know, for them, videotapes, you know, the big, they don't have a clue what that was. They don't have a sense. The kids now, by default, they grow up looking at Alexa and, you know, having Alexa said, find this problem for me, resolve this math problem. And it does it for them. This is not how we were. So I think it's the old generation. Uh, eventually, um, it will be part of life. You know, and then there may be some issues where some countries may not be able to do it or, you know, some, you know, depending on, you know, the views, you know, they may not allow it. But but I I think we will get there. You know, I. Yeah. Do you think we'd have to redefine what humanity is? Would will humans be more transhumans? Will we be more integrated with our computing power and our devices or will we lose that idea of you know humanity or will it will it be more than just organic humanity wow these are very deep questions um i think we will be more integrated it will, it will be part of us now people are you know inserting devices in their bodies right uh, and people feel good about that. Um, you know, some is for health reasons, but some are, you know, they want to be track or whatever. So I think it's just going to be part of it. Will be what I, it makes me kind of sad a little bit is, are we going to lose our sensitivity, our emotional aspects, the beauty about the soul and, you know, what we are as humans? I'm not sure. I that makes me sad. I think you know. Um, I I'm not sure the machine will ever get to that point. You don't think a AI will be able to feel? It will feel. It will feel. Um, you know, and then it probably will detect the emotions of sadness and all that. But what about the deep side of you know, meditating or you know, going deep and reflecting? Can a machine reflect? And, you know, you know, it can learn from mistakes, that's for sure. But when you reflect on things, I don't know, maybe, um, you know. Um, I know there are a bunch of labs. Uh, MIT has a lab that are trying to teach AI how to write. They're trying to teach them how to be dramatic writers. Wow. Um, yeah. And tell stories. And I think they're running, they're all running into the same issue. My, and I think that issue is, you know, how to really get into what, you know, a lot of people in the arts call the subtext, which is, you know, the feelings, the emotions behind the words. Hey, I can't do that yeah. yet. Yet. My biggest question is who 
are they programming the writing for? Is it for human beings or is it for other AI? And if it is for other AI, can AI be entertained? I mean, I know this is a it's a kind of an out there question. This is kind Isn't of the it? crazy things that I think yeah. about when I'm sitting alone in this yeah. room by myself. Yeah. But are we programming AI to be entertained? I don't know. Um, you know, I you know, probably yes. You know, there are so many researchers and, you know, smart people, you know, probably I, I don't know the answer to that. I did read the other day that they, they were playing with I did read this article where they were able to have this language between the different AIs that it, it was not understandable by humans, but it was understandable only by the you know. So I thought that was interesting. That sounds to me like the movie a little bit. Um right now based on the little that I know or you know what is I you know there's so much there out there is I think is you know our product is all for humans you know we want to help humans we want humans to be productive you know that's the goal of Microsoft right you know to make um, you know uh, achieve more the ability to achieve more you know and then there are you know many companies out there trying to do more on the on the you know, personal side and all that. Specifically with these bots that we have, we are reaching to the emotional side. And, you know, and then I think we have a, a way to go to learn, you know, in how to make that. Some people like it, some people don't. So, you you know, some people engage and find it fulfilling. Some other people, you know, want the interaction, the physical interaction. You hear a lot um, when people talk about artificial intelligence or when they talk about robotics um, or they talk about anything machine doing something, they always refer to the better than human being type of explanation or description. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about that? How do you feel when you hear, oh, this AI can do this better than humans? It's faster than a human. It's recognition more than a human. It feels a bit like the, well, me as someone who's kind of competitive, yeah, really feels threatened by something like that. Do you think that's a, a positive way to go about talking about what's coming, what's happening in, in the world of machine learning and AI? Or do you feel like the competition feeling of it might be a bit detrimental to the end goal, which... Um, which is actually, I, I don't know. What is the end goal? What do you think uh, Microsoft is developing AI for? Well, there are different applications, right? So it depends on the application. So we have it, you know, to solve very difficult problems, health problems, to help people that have, you know, disabilities, to help people, professionals, to be more productive. Um, and I'm sure there is much more, more uh, that I don't even know. Um, so from that perspective, I think it's all good. Um, now, it, the thing is that, you know, so if, if is the intent of what are you going to use it for? You know, today, you know, if I have to plan, you know, the, you know, my day, you know, I have to, you know, if I do it with even the tools, you know, I need time. I have an assistant or whatever. Here, you know, they're saying, hey, you, you know, this person knows you very well. It can do it for you very uh, efficiently. That's not a bad thing. The thing is when, you know, the comparison, as you said, and then what how, what do we do with the, the, the people that are, you know, that these, you know, these, you know, new systems will you know, replace, and then we have to re-educate, right? Um, but I, I, I mean, the, the feeling of the machine being better than the human, you know, no, I think it's, you know, it makes you, I think it's a human part of telling, you know, you don't, you feel kind of, you know, why the machine will be better, you know, if you, it's a comparison, is you know, I'm superior than you, so when you took it, take it that way, you know, you don't feel good, as you mentioned, you know, you are competitive and, you know. So I think it's how we message it. When I look at it and see how wonderful things, you know, 
are examples that we can do with this technology is amazing and, and you know it's very inspiring and you know um so i am all for it and i don't think it's gonna be in, in it's in the country it's to improve our lives um you know and, and overcome certain issues that we have that we haven't solved today all right i only have a couple more questions um one of which is uh you also uh work with bing the search engine that's right. And where do you think the internet is going as opposed to where it is today? It seems like the internet um, is really for social media, news, um, shopping. Uh, and I think it's wonderful for research, but I don't know how many people are actually using the search engines to research uh, academics or to research, you know, where they can buy their next movie tickets. Where do you think the internet is going? And what would, what, what, how will the internet benefit us in the future when AI does become pretty much an everyday part of our lives? So I think basically is the next evolution from the search side. I mean, today, if you have a question, you basically go to a search engine and search for it and you get the answer. As you go into the mobile, right, and multiple devices, <coughs> you, um, you will use certain apps and skills where you're going to say, I want to do this and your device will do it. It may trigger a search in the back end. You don't know. But it, 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 but it will be seamless to you. Eventually in the future, I don't think, you know, certain people will do it, but search is an intrinsic part of becoming that OS. It's, it's just you trigger everything through search, news, you know, all this stuff, right? So different verticals, and that is the core. Okay, that is the core. And having that knowledge is key for this, you know, skills and things like that. So, um, and then, so it's that you, when you have that through search, you are able to do more than, you know, specific skills uh, that Alexa can do. That's the reason they actually want their, you know, party developers to do more skills. So I think search is at the core but it will be different a different canvas a different way to do search is there such thing as being too connected in what context you 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 say that is it are we as human beings letting a part of ourselves go when we rely on our devices to do simple mathematics to recall memories to store memories to um do certain things that we used to do without the aid of a mobile like i was talking to a couple of friends of mine the other day and we were talking about how we don't remember people's phone numbers anymore right. and phone numbers used to be just right off the top of the head we could just go right to it i mean i still remember my phone number uh when i was a kid but I can't tell you my wife's phone number right now. It's just her name in a device. So, you know, sometimes aspects like that, I feel like maybe we're a little bit too connected. And that might be, you know, what, what you were talking about earlier, the age in which we are. But when we're talking about millennials and, and the young people coming up, Will they be relying too much on their devices? Yeah. And is that going to take away from something that, uh, take away from a part of their brain that yeah. would be developed yeah. in, a, in another way? I, I think, I mean, you know, you've seen some of the studies that, you know, they are, you know, they did some research. And then the fact that we're connected all the time to our devices generates a hormone. And that is the one that, you know, is a little bit like addiction. You know, it's the same one. And then so I think we're too much to connect. It. And you see many kids now exhibiting social awkwardness. They don't know how to talk. They, you know, you, it's just, you, you know, they are in a restaurant and they're just on their phones and they're not able to interact with people. And we did that, you know, and we remember so many things. And, 
and now it's like for granted you you don't do that anymore and you know and then I, I I think we are too connected and when people are saying you know you should disconnect for a day you know don't look at your phones I mean that's what you see with the kids and you know even ourselves so I uh, if you ask me yes we are too connected you know um mm-hmm. How you you mentioned before that you're the only woman in your department, um, in in the computer science when I was going to computer science, yeah. right? And how is that now at Microsoft? So um, you know we still I mean we have made good progress um, attracting female, but still it's not enough. This is an issue with the technology industry. You see, you know the companies releasing stats. Um, and it gets harder at the higher levels for executives. You see the stats for women CEO and all that. So um, it is a problem, and you know we're trying to encourage by you know going to schools, you know starting from the the you know the beginning of the funnel, um, you know, and then. You know, trying to say computer science should be part of, you know, like math, science, you know, um, in in elementary or uh, high school. So we're doing, we need to do in many, in many aspects, you know, from the young girls um, through the whole funnel. Um, I, you know, there are different, you know, stats on people in computer science. We still not produce enough overall. So for that industry we don't produce overall so You're talking about americans in general in america um i remember you know like two years ago um i think we were in by 2018 we need 1.2 something like that of you know will be about all these um jobs you know and we only produce 61 percent. why do you think that is you know people it's I think, you know, it's science in general. Um, and then for women, it was more about, you know, they, they, they felt it scary. Now it's not as scary. But also you have stereotypes, you know. If you see men there, you know, you don't feel that it's for you. And it has been very tough, right, with all the biases and things. So, and then people tend to hire people like you. So, so, if he, so I think it's, it's portion of that. People not wanting to go to science. Computer science is just for boys, not being encouraged by the girls. Um, for imagine for um, per, you know an underrepresented group, like in my case, when you grow into a culture in general, women don't do engineering or this type of professions. Um, so then you have less of this, right? Um, I think you know I see growth, but still we have more work to do. Um, through the funnel to attracting and retail and retaining the talent which we are working very hard and I'm, I'm, I mean all the tech you know and we're fighting for this talent all these tech companies right um, but it's, I, I think is I think it's but you know it, it may be cultural and it may be you know the how we approach this I think it's changing you know and in having role models and encouraging that is cool to do this um, you know, in science and doing computers and all that is not, um, you know, there is no that extreme money was for men and not women. So I think it's changing. It's going to take a while. We're making, you know, little progress in some areas more than others. Um, yeah, but we want more, more diversity. Right. Um, here are a couple of Afrofuturist podcast questions that I like to ask all my guests pertaining to the near and the very far future if there were one thing if there was one thing that you wanted to see more of that would change the world 10,000 years from now what would that be wow <laughs> this is a uh, um well you're you're making me uh, making me think um <laughs> Um, I think so to make the world change or 
something that you would want to see the world, if there was something that you can say now or teach right now that you think would affect the world positively in 10,000 years, what would that be? I would say, I think we have to be more tolerant. I think they, you know, we have to be more accepting other ideas and point of view, even if you don't agree with it. But mm. just the fact that you can listen to the point of view, um, I think we don't do that. We sometimes are like, oh, and then, you know, reject it and go to um, streams. And that's what you see a little bit today. Um, you know, I, in some cases, you know, I hear people and what's, you know, and, and, and they, people do things that I personally don't agree or, or, but, you know, I have learned to accept it, to respect it. And in some cases, I even learn from it. And for me, I think if, if we all are a little bit like that, I think it will be a better world. If you had the power to write uh, the headline for the New York Times in 10 years, um, and there was an achievement that you were working on in AI at Microsoft, what would the headline say 10 years from now? Um... We were able to find cures and for cancer, for diabetes, and for mental illness. Wow, that's a great one. That's really good. Um, uh, and here's one a little bit more personal. Today's Friday. What would you today, if you could travel back in time to Monday, what would you, your Friday self today, tell your Monday self? So, okay, let me see if I got it. So I go back to Monday. Yes. And I reflect what I will tell Monday to today. You would reflect your today self got to go back to Monday, right? Today's Friday. You could, your Friday self today could go to Monday and tell your Monday self, something what would your today self tell your monday self i would say be more patient be more patient and um and um just trust that i cannot control everything that's an excellent one that was really good. Well, Maria Alvarez, thank you so much for being on the Afrofuturist podcast. It was wonderful. Um, tell everybody where they could find you. If you're on the Twitter machine, if you're on Facebook, how, how can people reach you if they have questions, if they want to get into computer science, if they want to talk to you about what you do at Microsoft? All right. So I think the, the best way to find me is possibly through LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a Twitter account. I, I don't use it. Uh, and Facebook. I am on Facebook as well. You're Maria Alvarez on Facebook. Yes. Yeah. And then and LinkedIn is either many Maria Alvarez, right? So you have to put some other word like the company, Microsoft or something. Otherwise, you will find many of them. Yeah. That's how I found your LinkedIn profile, Maria Alvarez, Microsoft. That's right. Well, Maria, thank you so much again for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for the invitation. Thank you for listening to the Afrofuturist podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get podcasts. If you'd like to be a sponsor of the show, please contact me at ahmedbest at theafrofuturistpodcast.com or at ahmedbest on Twitter. If you have any ideas of any great guests that we would like to talk to on the Afrofuturist podcast, please contact me again at ahmedbest at theafrofuturistpodcast.com or contact me on Twitter at ahmedbest. Thank you all for listening again, and I'll see you next time.
Let's do this. Let's do this.